0: There are many reasons why I should not be a pastor. Yes, you may have your own. Mine are, I cry way too easily. It's awful trying to talk when you got your throat all bunched up. Now, I have a about This is my number one complaint. Complain many times to the Lord about that. I'm really an introvert at heart. Not in my comfort zone, which APC is in my comfort zone. But uh, where I don't know people out in public, I'm introverted. I'm not charismatic enough in all senses of that word. I'm not a natural evangelist. Now, this I've complained to the Lord about because I love him so dearly. And I would love to just speak effortlessly about him to anybody and everybody. Um, I always think of the best thing to say a day later. I was talking with an angry man in the neighborhood over here in Sacramento, and, and then I woke up the next day and said, oh, should have said this and this and this, or asked this question. And uh, I can come up with more reasons why I should not be a pastor. Being a woman, by the way, is not one of them. I just want that noted for the record. This outer package does... Influence the way I see life, the way I experience life, but it is not a disqualifier for ministry. Mm -hmm. So I had my concerns. But God called me to be a pastor, and it's an indisputable fact of my life that is backed up by a miracle. I don't know if I've talked about this enough, or some people don't know this, but I pursued God through college and then through seminary, and all doors were closed to me due to my outer package. So I knew I couldn't be a pastor unless God did something. And it just wasn't gonna happen other, otherwise. So one day after I would graduated, it was summertime. I was working a part-time job. I was amazingly at peace with my life. ABCers were called to walk our neighborhood to put VBS flyers on the doors. Here's pictures of the youth group. We did this two Fridays. The first Friday we had fun. So we went out the second Friday. Um, So I, I volunteered. I was walking with my partner, I want to say it was Alice Blackwood, and we were walking on our assigned path, which I think was Sacramento, when another ABC team came down the street in a truck, and they stopped when they saw us, and the driver told a joke, and we all laughed. And then that driver went to Pastor George that week and said, you know, Connie should be on staff here, I'll pay for her salary. And he did that for 12 years. It was my personal miracle. My personal miracle to confirm my call and it knocked me out. I couldn't remember interacting with this man. He never really came to Sunday services. He had never to my knowledge seen me teaching or preaching or anything. Uh, But that man and a church that had already worked through the issue of women in leadership opened the door to me. And I knew that it could not have happened without God's hand being in it. So I've held two things in tension. One is the reasons why I should not be a pastor. I'm not gifted enough. And then the call of God on my life. So which one do you think should win that tug of war? Be careful how you answer that and remember what you thought should be the right answer at the end of the sermon. I won't turn it back on you is what I'm saying. The fact that I have complained to the Lord vigorously about his call to my life makes me love the Bible character that we are going to look at today all the more. We have very much in common. Isn't it Fun to read scripture that applies so clearly to other people. Mm -hmm. You're saying, "Mm -hmm. I wonder if if that person's listening because the Bible's talking to them. They better be paying attention. But before we read our passage today, I want you to know that this scripture applies to you. To you personally, this challenge of God that we are about to hear, this saying yes to God's calling, this tug of war between our gifting or or our lack of gifting and a call of God, God applies to you as much as it does to me. It applies to people who have not had a miraculous calling from God because if you are a follower of Jesus, God has called you to himself and he has also called you to ministry to work in his name, to do the work that he has prepared in advance for you to do. Uh, As a reminder, we are in a sermon series entitled Our Bible, The Question Book, and we have been studying some of the questions posed in the Bible, questions which don't have quick answers, questions which require us to wrestle a bit with the passage and with God. So be on the lookout for our question of the week as we read through. Today we are going to... Look at the calling of Moses. His call covers two chapters in the book of Exodus, chapters 3 and 4, and we're going to narrow down on the part that holds our question, so we're not going to read the whole thing. And we're not going to read the beginning of his call, which starts with a blazing bush, which does not get burnt down or consumed. And uh, that miracle that drew him to the bush is where God reveals to Moses the thrilling news that it is finally time for God to come down. Scripture says to deliver his people from slavery to the Egyptians. Yes. Moses must have been thrilled. And then God says, verse 10 of chapter 3, so come, I will send you to Pharaoh To bring my people out of Egypt. Now that was an unexpected twist. Verse 11. But Moses said to God. Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And that is the beginning of five buts. Five objections that Moses has to the call of God. We're going to look most closely at the middle one. The third one. Moses is being sent by God to be the leader of the Israelites, to lead millions of people out of slavery, which means that God's plan for Moses will deprive the Egyptians of their free labor, will mess up their whole economy, and will disrupt their whole social order. And we know how much wealthy people in power love the idea of that plan. So Moses knows that he, immediately he knows that he is going to, his life is going to be in danger if he does this that God tells him to because real people in power are going to be mad. And he has real questions about whether the Israelites any of his fellow Israelites will follow his leadership. So God answers that objection. Then Moses thinks of a second objection. And then God answers that one. And now we come to his third objection. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Then Moses answered, but look, they may not believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? There it is. That's the question for today. What is that in your hand? A question from God to Moses, and an enduring question from God to us also. And so Moses said, A staff. And God said, Throw it down on the ground. So Moses threw the staff on the ground, and it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it. He was a very smart man. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it it, and it became a staff in his hand. So that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. What is that in your hand? God asks. What you got? What you got? For Moses, it was a staff that was a tool. It was a walking stick. It was a weapon. It was a guide when the sheep strayed. It was a symbol of authority in the Old Testament. You know how attached we are to our phones these days. Mm -hmm. Moses didn't go out the door without that staff in his hand. So God uses Moses' Daily, comfortable, handy implement, something he relies on every day and puts divine power into it. God takes the ordinary and makes it extra ordinary. So God gives Moses a what would you call it? A sign, a miracle, a magic trick? You know, I was impressed that Moses actually did grasp the tail of that snake. I'm saying it's a tail. That's where I would have grabbed. If I grabbed that snake, got to give him kudos for that act of obedience. What is interesting about this sign is that when it is used later on, it's used in front of Pharaoh. And it's Aaron who throws down his staff, not Moses. And then Pharaoh summons all of the magicians and the wise men around him. And they do the same thing. Throw down their staffs and they become snakes. And then Aaron's snake gobbles all the other ones up. And Pharaoh is unmoved by it all. The Bible is very negative about sorcery. There are strict commands against it. So why would this be the sign? Well, Moses was being sent into a wider Near Eastern world where that, that, that the world responded to manifold expressions of ritual magic. So this sign would resonate in ancient Egypt where religious traditions was, were steeped in practices of magic. And in fact, the snake in that culture was believed to have divine properties and there was a, a snake with its wings, wings outstretched, a snake on the throne of Pharaoh kind of implying protection over Pharaoh. Um, but Moses didn't appeal to any divine um, entities of Egypt when he did his sign, he didn't do, do a spell, he didn't say an incantation. It was a sign that demonstrates that power comes from God alone. That was an impressive sign. I think it was a sign first and foremost to Moses to convince him to go on behalf of God. And before Moses can say a word, God continues, verse 6 in chapter 4. Again, God said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, his hand was diseased as white as snow. Then God said, put your hand back into your cloak. So he put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his body. If they will not believe you or heed the first sign, they may believe the second sign. If they will not believe these two signs or listen to you, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile shall become blood on the dry ground. So God gives Moses two bonus signs. The Bible doesn't record that the second one was ever used. But the first and third ones were. Three miraculous signs. Was Moses convinced? Verse 10. But. But Moses said to the Lord. Oh my Lord I have never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor even now. That that you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Well I'm very sympathetic to this objection. I could have said the same thing myself. In fact, I actually have said this to God. Then God deals with that fourth objection. Is Moses done with his excuses? Verse 13, but mm, 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 he said, Oh Lord, please send someone else. There it is. Now we are truly at the heart of Moses objections, the outright refusal to do what God commands, send someone else, someone more charismatic, someone more eloquent, someone stronger, someone better, someone that comes in a different outer package, anyone but me. What you ask is too hard, Lord. What you ask will take a lot out of me. What you ask is too far out of my comfort zone. What you ask will cause me pain. What you ask is dangerous. What you ask may end up in failure. Send someone else, Lord. Verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he sent a bolt of lightning to strike Moses, declaring, I am through with you. I need to work with more compliant people, hard-headed, obstinate, disobedient people need not apply. Well, that's what I would have said if I was the Lord. I'm through with you. In fact, the English cannot capture how fierce and strong that the anger of the Lord was kindled. In Hebrew, it is a strong word. You don't want to go near the anger of the Lord. That's a fire that can burn you to a crisp. So no, amazingly, amazingly, verse 14 says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, What of your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak well, and even now he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and I, with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. He shall indeed speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you, and you shall serve as God for him. Now that's a whole serve as God for him. Take your hand, in your hand the staff with which you shall perform the signs. Did not see that coming. What a God we have who allows us our questions, our doubts, our refusal, and still chooses us and still loves us. What a God who could liberate the people of Israel without Moses at all and probably easier. And yet he chooses partnership with the imperfect people he created, even though they prove so aggravating to him time and time again. So take heart in this encounter with God, which allows for full honesty, including refusal at every objection. Look at God working with Moses without forcing him. Even when his anger burns, God does not overwhelm Moses with his superior uh, power. Hmm. What we see in this back and forth with Moses is that God reveals him not simply at the divine initiative, not simply when he chooses the time and the place to reveal himself, but he reveals himself in interaction with a questioning human entity. And if Moses had simply said yes the first time, if he was passive in the presence of God, if he was thinking his own resistant inner thoughts and keeping his churning turmoil inside and acquiescing without being true to himself, the possibilities of God revealing himself further would have closed down altogether. Moses has real fears, he has real qualms, and he is allowed to bring those to God and he is allowed to refuse. By being honest, by pushing back on God, Moses learns more about God than he would have known otherwise. And therefore he knows God better and he knows God deeper. So look at our God. Our God is beyond patient. We wouldn't know or appreciate the immense kindness that God extends to us through his patience if we had not experienced God himself waiting for us. It kind of takes your breath away when you put it that way, that God waits for you. God will plan B it in order to include you. Plan A was Moses alone. Plan B included Aaron, a concession on God's part. And God's sovereignty and power in Exodus is without questions. We will see God at his roaring power in the Exodus. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, and yet he chooses human agents when it means changing gears for him. And yet God doesn't impinge upon human decision-making. God's plan of salvation will not be thwarted, but he will, through any means possible, use the servants that he has called to be part of the work. There's such a delicate balance here between the sovereignty of God and his willingness to work through the free will and frailties of his creatures. God is beyond tenacious. Look at the position that we put God in. That's God there and us. Look at the position that puts God in. Now at this point in time, Moses had made a home for himself away from Egypt. Uh, He had been a shepherd pretty much all his adult life. That couldn't have been his plan when he was growing up in the court of Pharaoh But Egypt was a lifetime ago, and he had accepted his call as a shepherd. His life as a shepherd. These wilderness seasons of life, where life turns out different than expected, where life seems to pass us by, these long years passing without much happening. Moses had all of that plus change, and yet those years were not lost, Moses was learning something in the wilderness season over those long, unbroken years. He was learning something of the patience that he would need for for his new task. He was learning skills that he would use to guide and care for God's people. God would not let him go because he knew that Moses' shepherd's heart is what God's people needed, and he knew Moses' potential. Moses was 80 years old at this point and he still had untapped potential because he was using his skills to care for sheep, which is nothing wrong with that, but God had bigger plans in mind. So what about you? You may or may not have had a miracle attached to your call from God. But if you have met God, if he has called you to himself, if you have worshipped him, if he has touched your heart, you are called to action. Moses met God in the burning bush and then he wanted to go back to his life as usual? I don't think so. You don't get to go back to usual after God has touched you with his spirit. Worship leads to action. So I say to you this morning there's no such thing as a passive Christian. There is no such thing as cruise control on the Christian life because when we worship the Holy God who reveals Himself to us, He energizes us. He pours into us more than we can hoard for ourselves, He calls us to action. God has something for you to do that only you can do. God has salvation work afoot and in every corner and nook and cranny of this world. And he chooses to give you the honor of partnering with him. Every person you meet needs a touch from God. So are you going to really say, let someone else do it? You probably have a long list of excuses. I certainly have had mine. What would be some of yours? Excuses? I'm really asking. (laughs) You guys are just going to say yes without objection? What? Oh, you don't even need to listen to this sermon, people. Let's go and do something for the Lord. Right? Okay, somebody was going to say something over here. Excuses. Too old. old. Did I mention Moses' age? Okay, too old. Mm -hmm. What else? Not enough time. time. Too busy. Mm -hmm. What else? Oh, at the same time, I don't feel like it, I don't want to do it. Same time. Don't want to do it. Yes? You think that you're capable of doing it. I'm not capable of doing it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not the one. I'm not the one. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Busy with children. Oh. Oh, and that is a busyness that can drive you crazy, busy with children, yes? Someone over here? I don't have what it takes. How about I'm depleted. I need help myself. Now, you know, I kind of think, I just bring that out because I think that might be, a, I think that's a legitimate one, Lord, I'm just saying. Because, you know, some of us are tired. Well, you can resist the Lord. You can plead your cause before him. This call will make you uncomfortable. It will be hard. And nobody is ever fully ready or equipped for their call. But here's God's but back to us. Just as importantly, nobody else can do the salvation work that God has appointed for you to do. You see, you are uniquely qualified and suited for his call because only you hold your places in your circles around of people around you. Only you have the relationships you have. There's no one else who has the opportunities that you have. Only you can talk to that coworker or to that fellow student Only you can make eye contact with that homeless person and smile, they may only have one smile a day. Only you can notice that child, only you can pray for that person. They didn't wanna go to the pastor, they came to you to talk to you. They opened up to you, only you have your connections. And people today in your circles need God's salvation as desperately as slaves needed their liberation. And no one else can touch the people God wants to love the way you can. Now, here's the good news. You are only responsible for the ordinary. The divine power of salvation belongs to God alone. You are responsible for ordinary acts of obedience. And God will do the extraordinary. God will match your weakness with his power. Worship calls you to action. So, what you got? Let's bow our heads. Here we are, Lord, a motley crew. Can you possibly use us? Please give us many, many opportunities to share you with others. And we can't wait to see what you do through us. In your name we pray, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the Sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, Please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.